The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission. To learn more about the work of IJM, listen to the Esther series on this podcast. It's just a few shows back. Start with episode one and get a really good sense of what IJM is doing and how you can help. Then go to IJM.org forward slash rescue dash children. Thank you. This is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today. We are so fortunate to have an incredible conversation with Latasha Morrison. When people ask me, when they first discover the new activist, what episode they should start with. I often point them back to the November 2017 episode that I got to have with Latasha Morrison. And actually, you're going to hear that interview today because at the time of this interview, Latasha had just started a foundation called Be the Bridge. What Be the Bridge is, is a place to encourage racial reconciliation among all ethnicities, to promote racial unity in America, and to equip others to do the same. And she had been laying down the framework for this. We got to talk to her in kind of the early formational days of this. And in the two years that has followed, she has continued to doggedly pursue setting up spaces that are both safe and productive for talking about racial reconciliation, including the recent release of her brand new book, which is actually why we're releasing this show again, because her new book is called Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. And it is fantastic. And in so many ways, this conversation that you're about to hear was a early framework for what she would expound on in this book. By the way, buy this book. Just buy this book. Like, pause the podcast, get on your Amazon account, and get this book to your house. It is one of those mission-critical reads. So, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Here she is, our conversation from 2017. By the way, I'm a little self-conscious because for some reason my voice sounds really kermity in these old interviews, but... Forgive me, (laughs) Latasha's content is worth my own froggy voice. Here's Latasha. Um, I want to dive specifically into Bridge Builders for a little bit. First, can you give me sort of the elevator speech of what Bridge Builders is so that I don't do it a disservice? (laughs) Well, Be the Bridge is basically... um an organization that I accidentally started. <laughs> you got to tell me more about that if you don't mind. so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I accidentally started this organization and it was, um, it's basically our efforts, um, just one effort to see the church at its best and to see the church do better. And so we want to equip um, church leaders and organizations to be a transformative voice in racial healing because, you know, the church has been complicit to racism um, and we haven't owned it. Um, And as a a church as a whole, we haven't repented of it and brought um, restoration to our past and our history. And so my goal is to see the church lead in this conversation because if we say Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the hope, um, you know, he's the hope for this too. Yeah. But why aren't we seeking him? Why are we quiet? Why are we silent on these um on these issues, especially especially when we've been guilty? 
you know, (laughs) of it. And so, um, so we want to see the church be the headlights in this conversation and not the taillights. But in order for the church to be the headlights, we have to help equip the church. You have to know what to say. You're saying the right thing. And, um, you know, and so that's basically what be the bridge is about conversations. Um, it's an own ramp into these conversations. Um, it's for people who, who want to listen and to educate themselves and to learn more about um, racial healing in America, uh, educating themselves on the racial history in our country so that they can um, be bridge builders. That's what it's about. And so we have, um, it's a grassroots effort where we had people form um, community groups, um, neighborhood groups, um, church groups, but we we wanted to create it in a way where it's not just you waiting on on your church to do something, but you as a representative of the church, capital C church, could start these conversations. Um, and so we have people, um, a person of color to partner with another person of a, a, ethnicity, um, or if, if you're a white person to partner with um, um, a person of color in order to start these conversations. And mm. so, you know, this all launched from the if gathering and a lot of people thought we were an organization. Um, I was just a person that saw the brokenness of the world, saw the brokenness in her church, saw the bro- brokenness in her brothers and sisters in Christ and wanted to be, um, talk about it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and that's what I feel like people are just hungry for, or maybe maybe it's just me, but so much of, you know, we've, we've been talking the last weeks on the show about what happened in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we've been talking for years and years, every, unfortunately, every week, every week and a half, there's a brand new horrific news story. And these conversations are happening, but so much of the conversation is like about not knowing how to have the conversation because right. you just start to you start to crumble under like maybe like white guilt you know or yeah. you look at the church in America and you start to feel some measure of guilt for being uh, you know calling yourself an evangelical and you just you crumble under this but it feels like you're saying no let's bring this into the light and let's let's talk about it yeah. um can you can you walk me through? I mean, I want people to fully engage with this, but I'm I'm assuming that if you're having the trying to lead these conversations, that you are mostly doing this with like uh, white people, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, like not to put too fine a point on it, but right? this really started um, at a predominantly white conference, and when you think about those who need to have the conversation the most, you know, right. let's be honest. Is, is my white brothers and sisters who, um, because intentionally how our history has been um, misinterpreted, erased, we don't talk about it. Like, you know, any other country, you know, you think about how Germany has owned, um, you know, their history as it relates to Nazism and, and Hitler. Um, you think about Japan and, you know, just, but we have not done that. Canada has, Australia has in their own ways, you know, um, for their indigenous, but we have not done that in America. And we know that a Mm. part of healing and a part of restoration and, um, a part of God's redeeming, um, power is that, of we have to acknowledge his existence. We have to confess our brokenness. And then we're able to be reconciled to God through 
Jesus, you know, so we mm. know that as it relates to salvation, but also as it relates to history, we try to move on or just, you know, um, um, say, well, it, that's in the past. But we we look at racism from an individualistic standpoint rather than a systemic standpoint. The systems that have been built around racism and um, have not been dismantled. Those same systems are in place. It just looks different. It just evolves each, you know, with each generation, it just evolves mm -hmm. the injustices and involves. And so the thing is like, if you, if your wife had been abused a as a child, you would want to know that you would want to know her history because it's going to mm -hmm. inform the type of wife she's going to be. Um, it's going to inform the type of husband you need to be to her because of her history. It's going to inform the way she parents your children, how she interacts with the in-laws. It's going to inform a lot. So you can't just say, well, she just needs to get over that abuse and move on because your children are going to be impacted by that. Because if it's not, if she hadn't dealt with it, it's going to affect your children and their children. I mean, think about the sickness of alcoholism in a family you know, when it goes unchecked mm. and when it's not dealt for. So if we do that for our personal lives, what more should we do, you know, as it relates to our history here in America where our present today is informed by our history, mm. you know? And, and it's funny how the history that we try to erase is the history, the injustices that we've done to the marginalized groups. That's yeah. the history that we try to erase. We don't we don't try to erase any other history. We try to change that other history to make it seem good, you know, um, you know. And so I think those are the things, the conversations that we need to have and be the bridge. You know, it, it it's about one of the greatest things that you can have as a white person in this um, is listening. You know, if you can yeah. listen without talking are speaking, if you can um, have empathy and not apathy, you know, I mean, just some of those basic um, skill sets, those basic skill sets when it comes to communication, the basic fruits of the spirit, if we can walk in that uh, with each other um, and, and be able to listen to someone's truth just because you haven't experienced it, just because you haven't seen it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist because all of us are different. We're none of us are a monolithic group. So for me, um, I grew up in a very diverse military town, but I have mm. a friend that grew up in a small community in Florida. And so we're the same age, but her senior year, she was protesting Klan rallies. I've never mm. seen that. And just like my friend who grew up in East Orange, the things that her community growing up in the inner city face is totally different from me growing up in suburbia. You know mm. what I'm saying? And so, but that is a collective truth. And so just because my lived experience is different from my friend in Florida and just because it's different from my friend in East Orange, it doesn't mean their experience is not truth and real. It just looks different, mm. you know? And that's the thing that we have to understand. And the thing is we live in isolated bubbles. Uh, where, you know, our churches, you know, 80% of the people that you um, hang out with are people from your church circles. And so we're not communicating. Um, although the church started out as a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, only less than 2.5% of churches in America are, um, are multi-ethnic. The churches that are the most multi-ethnic 
or the churches that are not, um, that have very varying doctrines from the Christian doctrine, you know? And so we have to think about those things and um, Be The Bridge just creates uh, a venue, a vehicle, um, a tool, um, a own wrap for these beginning stages of these conversations to at least get us to a common memory, a common language, a common history, so that we then can go to the next level as it relates in advocating and advocacy and understanding this truth basis and how truth um, leads us to towards justice. And yes, you know, as a, a white male, you may feel some shame or some guilt, but that's not what you see. That's the, to me, that's the enemy, how it, it plays on emotions. But really what we should feel is that of conviction. Hmm. We should be convicted to have this conversation. We should be convicted to say, you know what? I don't have anything to do with what happened in the past, but you know what? I've been a benefactor of that systemic system that have oppressed my, my brothers and sisters over history. I'm a benefactor of it. And so therefore I do have a role in it. You know, I mm. do. And so when we think about justice and what that means, I, I love using this story. You know, if I took your car and, and I um, wrecked your car, and tore your car up. And I felt bad about that, you know, and I told you, and I came to you and I confessed and said, hey, I took your car, I, to I tore your car up, I'm so sorry. Hmm. And so you can forgive me for that, you know, but reconciliation is about restoring broken relationships. And so therefore, it's not enough for me to actually, give you your car back, you know, but I go to the next level because this is when the, I want to restore that lake, relationship and set right the, the wrong that I've done. And so what I do is I restore your car back better than it was before I stole it. And that's what justice is about. That's what justice is about. And see, we have to think about that. We've never done that. You know, we've never done that. And so you think about you know, the, the African-American community, the Hispanic community, you know, our Asian community, you know, for, for, for 60 years here in America, we would, we would only elect Chinese have certain jobs. They couldn't bring their wives. They couldn't get married here for 60 hmm. years. That's systemic racism. Yes. You know, yes. so you wonder why, okay, why do the Chinese own restaurants or why do they own dry clean? There's a history behind that that's informing that, you know, and we need to know that history. You, you, you know, we need to know, like, the land that was taken from our Hispanic brothers and sisters, the land that was taken from our Native brothers and sisters. Like, we need to understand that. And that's not to bring about shame and guilt. But it's to say I'm convicted by the wrong. And how do we how do we set things right? But the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge, at least begin to acknowledge the brokenness. But what we try to do is ignore it, act like it doesn't exist. And then we look at people and say, well, what's wrong with your people? Why? Mm. Why, why does the inner city, you know, why is there so much violence you put? If you have generational poverty anywhere in America, I don't care what color, and Martin Luther King talks about this, I don't care what color they are. 
when you have systemic racism and generational poverty in the area where these groups were redlined in these areas, they were where they couldn't live anywhere else, and they've mm. been redlined, you create this. And so when people don't have any hope, they don't have any value for their life. And so therefore, they don't have any value for the, the lives that are around them, and they don't have a value for your life, you know? And so those are systemic issues. So Yes, I want to talk about we are all concerned with, you know, the crime in inner city or black on black crime. But you know what? There's no more black on black crime than there is white on white crime. But we try to make it a point to derail the conversation. But we can do both. And and so um, if we're going to talk about those statistics and those things like that, we have to talk about the systemic issues in those communities that has caused these issues that those communities are facing. So we have to, you know, not swim upstream, but we have to swim downstream and fix those issues and we will see something different. But if we keep doing the same thing over and over, we're going to get the same result. And I can go on and on and on. So I was really hit hard by um, one of the questions that you asked at that if gathering that then became sort of the the beginning to bridge builders. Um, and you were and you were just touching on it, but it said, you know, when tell a story of when you felt racism or observed it. And it was interesting because you know I think generally I, I think like as I'm watching everything, I'm like I'm not I'm not racist. Like this isn't part of my like I was just not doing it, but I, it, yeah. it, I, a memory, like it hit me like the first time I saw and experienced racism and there was something really, uh, terrible about remembering that, but I, that's something mm. powerful that I haven't been able to wrap my head around that yet. Um, but I guess it's just, I, I guess there were two questions from it that I thought about, mm. which is one, do most people have that somewhere? Like, like people that were saying, like, I'm not racist. Is there something still in them that's like, you, you're missing a part of who you are? Like, you're right. You're not actively sinning in that way. But there's something that you are missing. Uh, so that's the first question. And then the second question is, what is the helpful part of this moment of awareness? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think it's how we define it. it you know, yeah. like I, I was saying that we come from we speak different terminology. We come from a different common language. So, um, when you, when you talk about racism, you're thinking of it from a very individualistic standpoint. And so as a, a, a person who supports racism as a system, as a systemic system, that is, is a, is a racist. And you, a lot of times people, they dwindle it down to, no, you're a racist if you say a racial slur. So therefore, I've never done that. And, you know, so I'm not a racist. But we live in a racialized society. Uh, we live in a, a world that has opened doors for some and intentionally shut doors for others. We live in a world that um, where white supremacy um, the, is, the, is, is the air that we breathe, you know? Um, it's the institution where um, it's the institution and where racism comes from, where colonization comes from. And so we are all born into that. We're born into a, um, a uh, racialized society. Uh, we are born into white supremacy. Now, the thing is, a lot of times we're not aware of it. And so hmm. when that awareness happens, as you start reading and learning and having these conversations and educating yourself, um, you start 
seeing things in a new light. You know, those blind spots that you once had are now you start seeing things. And I see where when I say even myself as a person of color, um, you could even deem um, whiteness as the ultimate. I mean, we see it Hmm. around the world with skin bleaching and just stuff like that, just internalized racism that people of color have. Um, you, you see these threads. And so the thing is not so much is about, you know, am I a racist, but you have to look at how do I support racist systems? What am I supporting? What am I backing? And why am I backing that? Am I viewing this through my gospel lens as to what Jesus did? Or am I viewing this through another lens, like my political lens lens or my cultural lens, you know, um, because that's even how we interpret scripture, you know? And so I think that's the most important question is like, what am I supporting, you know, in my society when we isolate ourselves and we're not intentionally, um, pursuing relationships with people outside of our ethnicity. Um, that too, you are participating in a form of racism in the sense where that 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 came into play by segregation. Hmm. So we're continuously segregating ourselves as the church in neighborhoods and schools. Uh, but that's not how the original church started in Acts. You know, you have Antioch that was filled of different types of people. And, you know, you had um, you know, you have um, you know, you had people of different socioeconomic status that you see in the book of Acts. And so, you know, and that's not what the church looks like today. You know, our churches are very homogenous, you know, and it's not for us. The reason why we have African-American churches and Chinese churches and the Philippian churches and Latino churches is because we were not permitted to worship in your white church. Hmm. But we are the ones that's integrating more back into white space versus people from white churches integrated into minority spaces where you can learn, where you can grow, where you can em- embrace other cultures and where you can look through a different lens of theology and understand, you know, um, that theologians come in all different colors and that, you know, Jesus wasn't white and the disciples weren't white, <laughs> you know, mm. um, and so. You know, but what I see is a lot of people of color integrating into um, white space where the doors have been shut to us before. But I don't see the same in return of white people wanting to learn and be under the leadership of a Latino pastor or an Asian pastor. So you, you, you think about your life. And you think about, you know, have I ever been under the leadership of a person of color in my life? You know, in school, did I have a principal? Did I have a teacher? You know, did I have, have I ever had a pastor? Hmm. Have I ever had a doctor? You know, have, (laughs) you know, have, have I ever had a boss? And you think about your life. And when you think about that, you know, I tell people, drop a little marble in there for each one. And you'll see that your world is very segregated. And so you're still upholding this system, you know? And, but when you talk to people of color, see, we have to integrate in order to function, in order to um, 
to, you know, we have to integrate into these spaces, you know? Um, and so we know more about your culture and your identity a lot of times than you do, because I, I do these seminars and workshops all the time. And I, and I talk to people and I say, you know, I say, Hey, what do you like about your culture? You know, what do you like about your identity, your ethnicity? Um, and people are very confused, especially white people are very confused about that, um, about those terms. And they've never had to think about it because it just is, you, you see yourself as not an ethnicity when you are ethnicity also, hmm. you know, and we have to understand where that comes from and, where race comes from as a political and social construct. And so what happens is I get into these spaces and I say, what do you like about your culture? And I'm going to tell you, I don't care what part of the country I'm in. Most people cannot answer that. Most white people cannot answer that, that question. You know, I'll have my Asian brothers and sisters to say, I love how we honor our elders, you know, or I love how our food, I love our sense of family. I love, you know, um, you know, my um, Latino brothers and sisters. I love our food. I love, you know, our, our music. I love our language. I love, our, you know, all these different things. But and everybody can name these things. But when I when it comes to white people. They have they pause and think. And so that's why it would be the bridge we've created um, this guide to help, it's like a pre-guide before you get into groups so you can have some basic understanding of yourself because the more you understand yourself and your identity, the better it is when you um, integrate into these Be The Bridge groups to start understanding um, what it means to do the work of racial reconciliation, racial solidarity. And, um, and a part of that, you know, it's a guide, um, we actually give this one away. It's called Whiteness 101. I know the name is not creative, but- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but that's what it's called. We're gonna actually work on something for people of color too. Um, Hold on, did, we're dealing... did you say Whiteness 101? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, for a second, I thought you said Lightness 101, but no, it's Whiteness 101. <laughs> whiteness. Oh, oh, that is. Whiteness 101. That would, and, um, I would buy that in a t-shirt. <laughs> and, and, and it just helps you walk through what it means to be white. And um, it was written by white people. <laughs> so it was not written by me because I don't know what it means to be white. But they can talk about, because you know what? A lot of times when people start doing this work, and they start um, understanding and, and um, you know, these blind spots and they're educating themselves. A lot of this can turn into shame and guilt. And you remember I said this is about conviction, not shame and guilt. And so what happens is just like I can feel because we're all created in the image of God. Mm. OK, so not there's not one ethnicity that represents the fullness of who God is. And because of that, that means that your whiteness is good. My blackness is good. You know, my, you know, my, all our, not that God is at work in all cultures and all people and all ethnicity and not one group is superior to another. But what this helps you do is to understand what it means and understand what it means to be white as far as your white identity, your white culture, to be um, proud of that, but also to be redemptive in that. 
Latasha, I have one more question. I, 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 I want everybody to go to beabridgebuilder.com, and I, I feel like and know that a lot of groups will start out of this. Um, but I'm also like aware that somebody is like sitting, watching the news, watching things mm-hmm. unfold, and they're, they're like, what could I pot? What's, what's anything that I could do, right? Because all, all they can think to do is just post outrage on social media, which isn't nothing, right? But like, right. but outside of that, what is something, what is a single step that if you could wave a magic wand over everybody listening to this who wants to engage in, in being a bridge to racial unity, what's a single step they could take today that would be not everything, but would be significant? I would say, um, read, hmm. you need to, you, you know, and I know a lot of people don't like to read, but, um, you know, I think for people who are part of the evangelical community, um, they need to read divided by faith. Uh-huh. And then there's a whole, um, list of books that we even have on our website, um, um, that where people can start. Um, I think another one is Just Mercy, mm. um, Warmth of Other Sons, um, Roadmap to Racial Reconciliation. Um, I love um, Dr. Suchan Ra's book, um, Many Colors. There's so many out there. Uh, my friend Daniel Hill is just coming out with a book called White Awake. Mm. Um, you know, so there's so many books out there. Um, Deidre Riggs, one. Um, <laughs> I could go on, yeah, but we yeah. have a list of books um, in our groups on our website um, and just get involved with this conversation. Start following people that don't think like you um, and don't say anything back. Don't come in my timeline telling me what to say and think. Don't come <laughs> on my Facebook page telling me what to say and think or how to feel. I mean, because I will shut you down <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. and I will block you because you know, this is my story, my space. And so I want you to come and listen. And if you don't agree, that's fine. You know, that's fine. But I need you to listen and just just realize that you're not the authority in this conversation and you're not the expert in this conversation. You know, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, we know what racism is. We know what it looks like. We know when it's being placated. We know when um when we know it, when we see it, we know it, when we hear it. So a lot of times people will say, well, no, that's not racist. You don't define it. Mm. You don't define it. Mm. We, we have experienced it. it has been done to us, not to you. You know, and so we understand it and we know it. So we need you to listen to us because we have always, let me tell you this, as people of color in this country, you can look at history, how I say, history informs you, we have always been right as it relates to our racial history. When we look back and we look at those that stood against MLK, I mean, prominent evangelicals Mm. that stood against him. Mm. When we look now, most people, they will support his message and what Mm. he was trying to do. You know, those that, that, didn't support desegregation, you know, those that wanted our, our, our schools segregated and all these things, those that didn't want to end, you know, slavery or, you know, all these different things. And so when we look at history, it says that people of color have been right. And when we look 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 
when we look back at 2017 through 2016, 2015, we're going to be able to point to that people of color were white again. And, but the question is, what side of history are you going to be on? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Exactly. And we just have to realize that we're somewhere on that arc and we we can't. It it might be a slow walk, but we've got to keep walking. Exactly. Friends, Latasha Morrison. I am exceedingly grateful to Latasha for sharing her story with us, for talking a bit with us, and for also writing her book, which you should buy. It is called Be the Bridge. Just go to latashamorrison.com. I will put that link in the show notes and make sure that you go and buy her book, see where she's speaking. If you're a church leader or just a leader of any organization, bring Latasha and her team out to come and lead you all through a really important conversation. She's wonderful. Thank you, Latasha. We are on social media. The new activist that is, is on social media. Find us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of them are new activist is. We continue to not only update you that there are new shows, but we put some extra content on there. And also, I love the conversations that happen. Ask questions. I'm there. I run the social media. I would love to talk to you about anything that we have talked about in the show. A huge thanks to Propaganda. I love that guy. He scored today's episode. All of his tour dates, music, merch, etc. can be found at HumbleBeast.com or on Twitter at PropHipHop. He also co-hosts the Red Couch Podcast, which you should be listening to. Make sure you look that up. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Latasha Morrison, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I'm Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends, and happy holidays.